Hello and welcome to Plant Powered Buddhist Podcast, where we are learning to turn our eating habits into a spiritual practice. I'm Sensei. I want to welcome you from wherever you're listening in the world. I also want to say a heartfelt thank you to all of my followers, my supporters, my clients, and my students. Without your support, I simply couldn't do what I do. I'm excited about today's episode, so with no further ado, let us begin. And today we begin the first episode of three regarding the components of meditation. Meditation has turned into nearly a marketing nightmare, can we say, Uh, similar to yoga. And it's not that either yoga or meditation individually or collectively are bad themselves. It's just that they've been watered down, twisted and turned inside out in such a way that almost anything can be yoga or anything can be meditation. Now, in this particular episode, we're focused on meditation and what meditation really is and what it can do and what it cannot do. First, I want to say that meditation is not, I repeat, is not relaxation. Meditation is not about relaxation. Now, I'm sure with all of the apps and all the things online and people taking pictures of themselves, selfies, you know, in this blissful state while meditating, that you probably think to yourself, well, of course, it's about relaxation. And in fact, Maybe some of you listening have tried meditation and found that, wow, I feel quite relaxed afterwards. Well, you know, here on this podcast, we are raising our consciousness through deeper inquiry. And so we have to be able to see some of the more subtle aspects of various phenomena so we can get to the truth of the matter. And so when I say that meditation is not or relaxation. I mean it in the same way that learning to become an Olympic swimmer is not for the purpose of getting wet. (laughs) If you jump into water, you will get wet, plain and simple. Likewise, if you meditate regularly, one of the benefits of that could possibly be that you feel more relaxed. But Attempting meditation for the purpose of relaxation is something that I advise deeply against. Why? Because there are relaxation techniques, breathing techniques, that are far, far more effective than any meditation could ever be in terms of achieving relaxation. So why then meditate? Meditation is for the purpose of focusing the mind, learning to focus the mind. And in these days and times when the average attention span is 17 seconds, that may be asking a lot. But in my opinion, meditation for the original purpose for which it was created, to focus the mind, is needed now more so than ever. And so if you're someone who is 
interested in meditation, you're investigating meditation, you're someone who's at a beginner or intermediate level of meditating, and as well as advanced meditators, I think that you're going to find some good value in this episode and the two that accompany it. So let's talk about these components of meditation. And there are three aspects that come together that when they come together, this is meditation. And the aspect that we're going to discuss today might be somewhat surprising to many people, again, because of what marketing has done to your mind about what meditation is and is not. So the first component for effective meditation is establishing a baseline ethical living standard, a baseline moral code, if you will. Now, many may be jumping to the conclusion that this must be a religious um, idea or suggestion. And I want to show you why, in fact, it is a very practical component of meditation. And if you are able to digest this, whether you're just beginning meditation or wherever you are in the continuum of of a practitioner, you will find that this will help you immensely. So why would it be necessary to have an ethical standard, a moral code? And what do we mean by that? Well, we mean a baseline way in which you choose to live your life. How do you choose to live your life? What are your boundaries? What are your ways of conducting yourself day to day that you have established? It's fine if it's established by a tradition or some philosophy, no problem. The main thing is that you need to have an ethical standard, a moral code of some sort that you try your best day to day to adhere to, to exemplify. Really important. Now, this moral code, this ethical standard that you establish will serve you greatly when you decide to sit in actual meditation. Seated meditation still And why is this? Well, I can tell you from the time that I started meditating at 11 years old, in all of these years, I can tell you that whether it was in my beginning years of learning how to meditate or when I began instructing others on how to meditate, there are two aspects that make meditation the most difficult. One of those has to do with this ethical standard or moral code. When you steal the body, the mind appears to get loud. (laughs) 
And what do I mean by that? That so many thoughts start to come through your head. So many thoughts start to flood the mind. And interesting, your ability to notice this comes from being still. So don't be under the misconception that these undigested thoughts that you keep recycling are not happening all day, every day. No, it's just that you are preoccupied, distracted by many other things that don't allow you to notice that this is taking place. And so therefore, you're worn down physically, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, bit by bit, every day. But that you do notice. You do notice the effect, but you don't know the causes or the conditions. And this is what meditation can help you recognize. But it will be difficult to recognize this without having an established ethical standard or moral code of conduct. Because the other thing that often happens when the body is stilled is that amongst the myriad thoughts that you may have, invariably, at some point, maybe not the first sitting, maybe not the second, but at some point, amongst those thoughts that you avoid throughout the day will be about the things in your life that you presently are doing or that you have done that you're not proud of. Things, words, thoughts, deeds that you wish you could take back begin to surface. Trust me on this. And it is for this purpose that by having an ethical standard or a moral code established that you try to live by day to day helps to hopefully minimize breaching those boundaries that you have established so that when you go to sit amongst your random thoughts about chocolate chip cookies and you know what happened 10 years ago or what's going to happen five years from now, what's happening in politics, all these things, you won't have this really heavy experience of things coming up that you are ashamed of, that you feel, as I said, that you wish you could take them back. Now, having an ethical standard or moral code doesn't mean that you will not have transgressions. We're not talking about perfection here. But don't miss this point. That something as essential as an ethical standard or moral code of conduct can substantially reduce the random and not-so-random thoughts that you have when you begin to seriously get into meditation. This is not for the person who's just dipping their toe in meditation. Hey, I want to say I, I did it. Yeah, I went to a cool meditation workshop or this or that. No, we're talking about people who are really interested in the power of what meditation is capable of producing in your day-to-day, moment-to-moment experience of life. And I have seen it with my own eyes, let me tell you. The tears 
the discomfort. with sitting the body still and seeing people go through these various gyrations. Because, as I said, inevitably, these things will come to your mind. They have to. And it's a good thing. It's almost like vomiting, right? The act of vomiting is not fun at all. But once the poison, the toxins, or whatever are out of your body, you say, hey, it was worth it. The experience, not fun at all. When you learn to focus your mind in meditation, these things that we are not proud of will absolutely surface. And if one has no ethical standard or moral code of conduct, then you're going to have a tremendous amount of these things come up. And therefore, you're going to say, hey, this meditation thing is not for me. I'm done with this. This is too traumatic. I thought meditation was supposed to make me feel good. At first, it seemed like it was so fun and it was so cool to do. But now things are coming up that, hey, I, I haven't thought about that in a long time and I don't want to think about that. This is just the beginning of your true practice of meditation. Because authenticity is essential. And I would say that an ethical standard or moral code of conduct can help aid this phenomenon called authenticity, which you will need if you're doing real meditation. An ethical standard or a moral code of conduct as a component of your meditation practice. So what does this mean? This means that before you even begin to sit on the mat and think about how you're going to record yourself meditating and your cushion and all the accessories and all this kind of thing, that your meditation needs to be understood as ongoing, moment-to-moment life. The way you are conducting yourself every single day is a component of your meditation. Hmm. Think about that. Never outside of quote-unquote meditating. Because it's easy to compartmentalize meditation as this thing that you do sometimes or maybe even regularly, if you're consistent, as separate from your life. As separate from the moment-to-moment experience of the human being. Not so. So I often encourage people before you even begin to try all these different meditation techniques and, you know, you're being marketed to try this, do that app, do right. Before you do any of that. Question yourself. Honestly, question yourself and say, hey, what am I? baseline standards and code of conduct for living life. And am I living up to that? 
And if the answer is no, it doesn't mean that you don't meditate. No. This is part of the meditation, remember? What it means is like, you have to begin to think, what do I need to do or not do to bring myself in closer proximity, in closer alignment with this ethical standard or moral code that I have created for myself? And I think it's essential that it is something that you either create or co-sign yourself. Because many people will make an excuse, well, I'm not going to be subject to what that religion says or what that person said. That's why I'm telling you. Develop a personal code of conduct, an ethical standard of living. And if you are resistant to that, then that speaks volumes. Because to say that I don't want to adopt uh you know, someone else's code of conduct or some tradition's code of conduct. And I'm not going to create one for myself. Then you have to ask yourself, given that being your position in life, if that is what your position in life is, is it any wonder that you have the challenges that you do in life? Is it any wonder that the things that you wish were different in your life because of your refusal to either establish or follow a reasonable code of conduct. What's the relationship between your day-to-day experience and the truth of that, if that is true for you? But assuming you are not opposed to this, then your first step beginning today is to work out a framework for this. And there are so many different traditions and philosophies in the world that some of this uh, is known in our own kind of day-to-day speech, the golden standard, notions of karma. There's all these different kind of uh, indicators of kind of ways in which you could construct something that is palpable for you, but that actually has teeth. I mean, if you were setting out to be a marathon runner and you said, you know, my practice is going to be that I'm going to try to run 10 feet every day. Okay. That's doing something. But how likely is that practice, quote unquote, likely to make you a marathon runner? You run 10 feet, come right back inside. It's the same thing here when we're establishing an ethical standard or a moral code of conduct. It must be something that actually pushes you to be your best self. And so this takes some time and it's comprehensive. This has to do with how you relate to people. Your notions of truth, of right and wrong. Equality, justice, 
honesty? What is your ethical standard or moral code of conduct? This may not be as easy as it sounds, but it will be absolutely beneficial to your practice of meditation. The less you have bubbling to the top that is disturbing, that is weighty, the better off you will be. And if you are presently living or have lived your life in such a way that there is room for significant improvement in your dealings with people, and how you are, then you must make these adjustments. If you'd like some assistance with this, please go to plantpoweredbuddhist.com, go to the contact page, send me a message, and we can discuss working together on this aspect of your meditation practice. And I encourage you to Look for the next two episodes that will kind of bring together the three components that constitute meditation. But for now, you have the first component. An ethical standard or moral code of conduct so that when you steal the body, you can deal with the lighter kind of irritations, if you will, or random thoughts and not have the big boulders that invariably will show up. If you found anything valuable in this episode and you're able to leave a positive review, whatever platform you're listening on, please do that. I would appreciate it. And if you would like to support my work monetarily there is a link in the description you can cut and paste it or click on it if it's clickable and begin supporting my efforts for as little as one dollar a month i would deeply appreciate your support and i thank you for listening today peace and blessings and that concludes this episode of plant powered buddhist podcast i want to thank you again for joining me today I also want to quickly mention several ways in which you can support my work. One, wherever you're listening to this podcast or this episode right now, if there's the ability to leave a review or a five-star rating, I would definitely appreciate that. Secondly, if you'd like to learn more about my background, my books, the services that I offer, where my social media sites are, or you'd like to invite me to speak publicly, please visit plantpoweredbuddhist.com. You can do all of that there. Third, if you have a family member, a friend, or a colleague who you think would benefit from my content, please share this episode or my podcast with that person or those people. Lastly, in this episode that you just listened to, there is a clickable link. And if it's not clickable, you can cut and paste it into your browser. That will take you to a page where you can begin to support my work 
monetarily on a monthly basis for as little as $1 a month. If you could find it in your heart to do any of those things, I would deeply appreciate it. Until next time, peace and blessings.